Well, welcome today to week four of our series called You Asked For It. We're so appreciative of all the questions that you guys have been submitting to us. And Nate, another big question came in that uh, we're going to try to tackle here today. This is a one that has come up a lot. You want to share what the, was yeah, on the hearts so, of people? So the question that we, we get quite often and have heard over the years quite often is, um, do only Christians go to heaven? And, and there were sort of multiple questions around this, but is do, do only Christians go to heaven or uh, do Jews go to heaven? What about people of other faiths? Um, do all roads lead to God? So you know, kind of put all those together in, in that bucket. And we'll, we'll get into that today. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, being in New York right after 9-11 and was on the streets just, you know, talking to talking to people and met a guy that that was his thing there on the street he's like oh all, all paths you know lead to god and i quoted to him john 14 6 where jesus says i am the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through me i was like look you, your argument isn't with me it's actually with with jesus uh himself it's jesus who's making this very exclusive claim that christianity is the only way so it's a it's a huge question though a lot of people have. Well, and I think there's a perspective that people have that you know, especially those who don't want to be pigeonholed into one faith, uh, or who are part of another faith and like certain parts of another faith, but they're not really willing to be exclusive. I think one of the ideas that I I can counter out there, and and I'd love you to speak to it, is is this idea that Jesus is sort of one of many voices. He's a wise person, and there were many wise people, and they're all sort of, you know, scratching around the edges of something that's true, and that somewhere in the middle uh, is is what's real, and that Jesus and everybody else just had something to say, say to it. So there's that idea, and that, I think, sort of leads to the idea of all roads lead to God. So I'd be interested in hearing, how would you respond to that? Right, and that is a very common thing that, that people will say, is that, well, like it's a it's a mountain that God's at the top and that there's like many paths that are going to lead there and that you know most religions are more the same than they are different. Actually, it's the opposite of that. There are some similarities and we can touch on that a little bit if we want to, but um, there are some similarities, but there's these vast differences. And you know, one of the ways that I, I think about that is like with sports. I know you you like sports. I think I'm probably a little bit bigger of a sports fan than you are, but um, I like to play them. I don't like to talk about them. Okay, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm the type of person that Lisa says, if ESPN was showing two guys jumping up and down on one leg for as long as they could, I would watch that. And, and it is true. But, you know, it'd be like somebody saying, well, all sports are the same. Well, yeah, a lot of sports have up so basketball, right? Mm -hmm. Baseball, right? football. You know, they all have a, a ball. Golf has a, has a ball. Volleyball. Not all golf. Yeah. Well, yeah, this golf. You, you like this golf. But even then, there's an object yeah. that, that you have that's sort of the, the center yeah. of that particular sport. Hockey being the same way. It's not a ball. It's a puck. But if you said to somebody, well, all sports are the same, we go, well, no. I mean, there are some similarities. There's a, a ball or an object, and, and you want to either get it past a goal line or into a goal of some sort. But for the most part, sports are vastly vastly different. And it's the same way with religions. Yes, there's some similarities, mostly around the moral types mm -hmm. of topic. Every religion is going to say, don't murder, don't lie, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to like the, the big topics of life, they're, they're vastly different. 
And, you know, one of the things we've always got to think about is a worldview. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to worldviews, everybody has a worldview, whether you're an atheist, you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, Hindu, whatever, everybody has a worldview. And what a worldview answers is basically four big questions. First of all is origin. Where did, where did we come from? How, how did we even start? The, the next one is meaning. What is the, the purpose of life? Why, why are we here? The next one be morality which is what are the ethics that we're going to follow? And then the final question is destiny. What happens to somebody once they die? Again, even an atheist has a answer to where did we come from, origin? What is our purpose in life? What is the, uh, the morals and the ethics that we're going to follow? And where did those morals and ethics even come from? And then what happens to someone when they die? Every religion has different answers to those and those are big questions mm-hmm. um, so we could spend probably a whole message on each of those questions oh yeah sure just unpacking each one of them right. so when we start looking at a worldview um because because i don't think most of us think of our worldview that completely or that comprehensively like we don't we don't i don't consciously sit and go okay so my worldview is because i answer creation this way i answer morality this way I answer so how how do we begin to engage the idea of what is my worldview and why is it important for me to address that? If we're talking about this question of how do you know how do all roads lead to God, how do I how do I begin to maybe pull back and look at that a little bit more closely? Well, the first thing you have to ask is, is there such thing as truth? A- absolute truth. If there is no such thing as truth, then it doesn't matter what we believe. But if we can come to the place where we say, well, no, there has to be truth of some sort, then we can start to filter, is the way I would say, mm-hmm. various things through that, that truth filter and start to filter some things out. And then that leaves some, some things still left in the, in the bucket, so to speak. And then you keep filtering and you keep filtering and filtering until you come down to, to just one thing. So and how so, do I, and, and not to get too long down this one, but how do I, how do I filter, and know that I'm filtering correctly? You know, sort of going back to um, um, when Jesus is being confronted uh, by Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says, "Truth, what is truth?" You know, there's how do I know my filter's working right? Right. Yeah, that's funny that you you bring up Pilate there because he asked that question, and then right after that, it says he left. And he left. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so I think that I'm out. A, a lot of times when people ask some of these questions, like or you know, or they're saying things like, "Well, what roads lead to, to God?" It's not a sincere question mm-hmm. that they're asking. It's, 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 it's a it's a smokescreen, mm-hmm. and that's what it was with with Pilate. There, he didn't want to know the actual truth. He's just throwing that out there, trying to wash his hands, uh, literally and figuratively. Well, and, and you situation. and I always do this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it here because we didn't, you know, we didn't talk about this, but I'm gonna do it here. Because you and I always do this whenever we come to characters, and you'll take a character in one direction, and I, and I take a character in another. I don't think either one of us is right or wrong. I just think it's an interesting dynamic because it, it's one thing if Pilot really didn't want to know the answer to that. But the other, the other way that I see people articulate a question like that or a statement like that is it's not so much they w- don't want to know the answer, but they're frustrated because it seems too, it seems too deep or it seems too intense or they just don't have the time for it. 
So if they could more easily grasp it, they might. But I mean, how do you respond to that? Is that a, I mean, is that the same issue where it's really just not caring enough about it? It or? is. And then, I mean, this is the point and, and you know, I did have this conversation that, that this type of conversation can get into all kinds of weeds and very deep philosophical and, and types of things. And, um, and, and that is the, the frustration. I sort of think of it like a math problem. If we, if we take a hundred students and we put them in to a classroom, we give them a very complex math problem, right? Most of them are going to get it wrong, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a correct answer just because most of them couldn't get it, get it right. It's, do you take the time and the discipline to, to sort of go through the, this whole thing? Well, why should and, I bother? I mean, that's, I think another piece of it is not just that I want to get the right answer, but why should I bother trying? Well, that goes back to destiny. So again, origin, meaning, morality, destiny. What happens to me after I die? If there is one correct answer, and we as Christians would say that either you're going to be eternally present with God or eternally separated in a real place called hell, then that's why that's why it should should matter. But then even the question is, well, are Christians even right on on that one? And so that's where when you take, you know, there's 3,000 world religions about 23 like major world religions, you've got to start to, to filter these things through to try to come to some sort of conclusion of, okay, which one is the right one, if any of them are the, are the right one. And so, you know, the, and this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but there's, there's three major things that you can do. There's what's called logical consistency. Does what is being said make logical sense mm -hmm. or not. And the actual thing here is called the law of non-contradiction, that something cannot be both A and non-A at the same time. Now, let me try to explain that. Uh, your dog, uh, remind me. Of, Which one? Uh, either one. Just, one All right, Hannah. Hannah. What color is Hannah? Black and white. Black and white. Okay. So that's a fact, right? Hannah is black and white. Now, if you said Hannah is black and white, but then in a couple minutes you said Hannah is 100% white, there's a contradiction there. Either Hannah is black and white or Hannah is all white. So you cannot have both A and non-A all at the same time. And so this is where, uh, say like Buddhism, the goal of Buddhism is to get to this place of, of nirvana, this place of all desire has completely left you. No desire left. Well, to have, <laughs> to get to a place where you have no desire, you have to have a desire not to have desire. Mm -hmm. Which means that either you have no desire or you have a desire not to have desire. So there's right. contradiction right You can't there. have a desire to not have a desire. Right. Because <laughs> exactly. then you still have desire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and, you know, here, here's one, even with the Dalai Lama, who, you know, the, the, um, with the, with the head of the, uh, with the Hindus. The, the Dalai Lama, um, his, his biggest wish right now is that Tibet would, come back under rule of, of the Hindus. Right now it's under the rule of communist China. And there's actually a, a website 
that they run called Free Tibet. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing this, I think it's since like the 60s that it became like this, this great cause. And then obviously the website, you know, uh, has come, come later. But this is his number one cause is free to bet. Well, if you call it a, a cause, a, a thing that I really want, isn't that a desire? A desire. Right? <laughs> so the, even the difference between desiring a noble good and desiring <laughs> something else, isn't there? I mean, right. so, I mean, this is an illustration of how we can sort of cycle down. Um, circ- so there's, there's circ- a, the circular logic, there. right? So the, that again, that thing of logical consistency. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not there. The, the next thing then is imperial adequacy, mm-hmm. which is, is there empirical facts uh, to back this up? So let's take this into, uh, say, a crime scene. If somebody's investigating, a detective's investigating a murder, let's say, and then they bring somebody in for questioning, they're looking at, do they have a logical explanation and alibi for what's going on here? And is there empirical facts that would either implicate them in this crime or to to exonerate them uh, from from the crime? And so we do this in all areas of life. Detectives do this in a crime scene. Scientists do this when they're doing experiments. Mm-hmm. Is is there logic behind this? Is there um, is there empirical evidence? Well, parents do this with their children. You know, if you walk in the room and you say, "Were you doing this?" You know, did you eat my chocolate bar? And the child says no, but there's chocolate all over their face. <laughs> you go, yeah, I don't think that's right. right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so you, you look at you look at that, and then the, the third big question that you have is experiential relevancy, which means does this answer those four big questions of a, of a worldview of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Mm-hmm. So we do this with every other area uh, of life is that we filter things logically through. We look for the facts and the evidence and, and okay, what does this have to do with my life? But then when it comes to religion, people are like, ah, oh, just believe whatever you want to believe, dude. You know, mm-hmm. it all work out at the end. All paths lead to God. And that's just not the case. You can take these filters and take every religion and just keep filtering it down, filtering it down, and you start to find the the inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Mormons they um, they say that well, when Jesus died, because they believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. but they say when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, what he actually did during those three days is he came to North America yeah. and he found twelve other apostles, and that that's how you know things got started. Blah blah blah. And which again, if you do empirical research and logical consistency, and you start to look at the path of Joseph Smith, the founder, you start to see there was a whole lot more going on in the dynamics socially around him, and what would have motivated him to create this this field of thought. And then you look at the empirical evidence, and you start to say, so what was the tablet that he used to create the Book of Mormon, and does that actually have those words on it? Blah blah blah. And you start to see all of that crumble. Uh, under the weight of the evidence, right, and and then also the just the, the lack of evidence, uh, even like archaeological evidence, right. that there's no archaeological evidence of anything like that happening. But when we go back to like Christianity and the resurrection, yeah. not only do we have archaeological types of things, 
but then historical writers that are documenting, and not just you know the, the Christian writers of the of the New Testament, but outside sources that are documenting that this guy yeah. Jesus died on a cross and he his tomb was empty. Now they may come to a different conclusion why the the tomb sure. was empty, but there is empirical evidence that there was actually an empty tomb. And well, we, and another archaeological point is you have evidence older. And in the midst of more civilization, which which is destructive to archaeological evidence, I mean, typically you have a hard time finding archaeological evidence where civilization is built on top, built on top, or you can't dig for it. Here you are in North America, there's less time that civilization has been developed, and there should be more archaeological sure. evidence right. or more readily available, right. and there's not. Uh, and yet we can dig in, and what we have dug in in the in the Middle East and in all the areas where the Bible, uh, you know, Bible history takes place, you're able to find archaeology. You can go back and you can find Abraham's tomb. You can see evidence that there was an Abraham, there was an Isaac, there was a Jacob. You know, and even just not not to pick on Mormonism, but uh, to look at other religions like uh, Hinduism. So you, you look at that, you say, okay, so Krishna and and all of the the mythology around the god Krishna and and the gods who warred and yada yada, and who the one who killed her husband, and so I mean, where's there's no evidence of those events taking place or who they were. It's a lot of myth, a lot of story, right. but not a whole lot of um, not a whole lot of archaeological evidence. Right. Yes, archaeological evidence is is huge, and what's interesting is when you look through uh, scripture, there's a lot of people and places and things that are very specific details of. This person on this date did this. Yep. And skeptics will always come and say, oh, well, that's just, you know, a load of crap. You know, nobody's ever found anything about that. Even like, I think it was into like the 1960s, there still wasn't even any archaeological evidence for the existence of David. Mm. And so people are like, oh, it's just, you know, a, a metaphorical thing. There was no, no such guy as David. Then in the 60s, all this archaeological evidence yeah. is found. Yep. And you would think that people go, Okay, now now I'm going to believe. But no, what do they do? They just find the next thing to say. Well, this isn't the. And we were talking about Pilate. It's only been within the last, I think, twenty some years that you know there was no evidence of this Pontius Pilate. Well, now there's archaeological evidence that's been found, and it all matches up. So the Bible has so much just empirical evidence from the archaeological evidence that, that's there to the, the writings that are there. They're all dated very close to the actual time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, I think it was Paul at one point, he, he basically says, you know, the, these things, we, there's many eyewitnesses to this. And he says, some of whom are still alive today. Yeah. And what he's basically saying there is, look, go ask them. Yeah, they were here, they saw it. They, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think what a lot of people think when it comes to all this is that Christianity got started sort of like the telephone game mm. that orally, you know, this story of Jesus kept getting passed down, passed down, passed down. And then hundreds of years go by. And then all of a sudden this myth that, yeah. Oh, well he rose again yeah. from the dead and he was God and stuff. Well, and the whole mountain but, theory actually starts with that principle that starts way back. It starts all the way back at creation myths and says that the telephone game has created multiple creation myths, and that's why it all leads back to God. And, and they're trying to go back to your point about origin of worldview um, and, and take it there. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about origin. We've talked a little bit about um, philosophical and archaeological, empirical 
uh, evidence. Um, I want to I want to share something on morality. I'll come back to that sure, in a moment. Um, but let's deal with with Jesus for a second. So let, coming back to where we started, the idea that Jesus is just sort of one of many scratching at little bits of truth, and and we should sort of take and um, you know, bits and pieces of him as we see appropriate. You you said you've said this many times, and I want to give you a chance to say it again. You know that that um, when we deal with Jesus, he's he's speaking of his own authority, and so the the choice isn't you know you're arguing with me or or what have you about like I have to prove you or you have to prove me wrong. We're really dealing with Jesus, aren't we? I mean, we're dealing with whether or not he is who he said he is. And so, I mean, you have you were pointing back to C.S. Lewis and some of the things around that. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, C.S. Lewis has, has said that Jesus has to be one of three things. Either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's truly Lord. And there's a lot of people that would say, oh, Jesus is a good moral guy, uh, you know, and, and a lot of great teaching. So even, even the Jews and even the, the Muslims, uh, they believe in uh, Jesus as a historical person. Mm. But where the, the difference comes is Jesus said, I'm God destroy this temple, I don't raise again, I can forgive sin, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that I have the keys to eternal life. The, the Muslims, they say that Jesus didn't even die on the cross, that he was put on the cross, but he didn't even die on the cross. Uh, the, the Jews would say, yeah, he died on the cross, but he remained in the tomb. All of his claims of being the Messiah uh, just were uh, debunked at, at, at that place. So, that's a thing of, uh, again, if somebody truly was a good moral guy, a great teacher and stuff, but yet he was making all these claims of, I'm God and you can kill me. I'll come back to life again. I have the power over sin, and it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, either that makes him a huge liar or he's completely <laughs> off he's his rocker. Insane, right? He's yeah. insane. He, he should you know go to an insane asylum. Or if he's neither of those, then he's truly, truly Lord, that he really is God. Now, again, you have to filter all of the claims of, of Jesus through these things that, that, that we talked about as far as, um, you know, logical consistency. Does everything all line up from, from scripture and the, the whole empirical adequacy? Is there actual facts? And, and, you know, we talked about the archaeological facts. We talked about the historical written facts. One of the things that you and I have both talked about in a series we did the other Christmas was then all the prophetical right, yeah. stuff that, that happened as well. That there are 333... Right. You said that really fast. And for those who may not use that word or understand that terminology, you say prophetical, not just you know some mystical thing, but these were things that, that those who were followers of God had said would happen at a future time. And all of them at least 400 years before... Jesus yeah. even came on the scene. And they were all things that could not be artificially right. constructed. In other words, you couldn't you couldn't put enough of the circumstances together to make it happen in that particular way. The only way it could happen is if it was something miraculous or divine um, and that far away. You know, and we talked about statistically the, the probability of those things happening and then to have all of them happen exactly right. the way that they were said they were going to happen so when you say prophetic it, it's that it's not just somebody it's not like nostradamus right, right, right. you know and make a partial prediction and they, it's vague and it's unclear and it's vague and unclear enough so that some somewhere at a future date somebody goes oh maybe he was right you know that these were super specific 333 very specific prophecies 
you know, about Jesus. And that doesn't even include then the thousands of other prophecies that are found in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But those things uh, have, have happened as well. So, and unlike other religions where typically their their book mm-hmm. is like one person. In, in the, the Bible, we have 40 different authors that are authoring the, the 66 books. Yep. So then to get 40 different people that are all sort of on the same page over, you know, this At least 6,000 years. Yeah, <laughs> over this, this long span of time that they're writing it, and all of it comes true, mm-hmm. just statistically, it's impossible yeah. unless God's hand was, was actually in this. You mentioned about um, experiential relevance. And I, I want to tag back to last week a little bit when we talked, or, or two weeks ago when we talked about sin and suffering, um, and bring that up again in this because, um, and, I, and I want to mention this in honor of Ravi Zacharias because uh, who, who recently passed, uh, one of the one of the most brilliant minds and apologetists. Uh, now he's a little heady and a little deep for most people. Uh, we started to watch his with the kids. We started to watch one of his talks, and I could just see like in the first three minutes they were like. Whoop. <laughs> I have no idea what he's saying. Uh, even Allison was like, okay, I know what he's saying, and I'm still like, I'm hurting right. Right. to try and keep up. But, but absolutely brilliant mind. And, and I think that some people become very intimidated when they think of trying to wrestle through this on that level. But he, he, did, he was asked the question about the problem of evil uh, and suffering. And if there is a loving God, how could a loving God allow evil? And his, his answer was simple. It was amazing. I'm going to do my best to try and recapture it. But he said, you know, if we if we go back and we look at the at the origin and we say uh, God could have created many different this world in many different ways. He could have created a world where uh, he could have not created this world. OK, so it just wouldn't exist. So we wouldn't even have the question. He could have created this world, but not had uh, any any evil or any free will at all. That there was just there was nothing uh, except blind obedience. Um or he could have created this world. And when you look at all the options of what he could have created, the only one that makes sense is this world, because in this world, you cannot have the choice, and this this was the, the point he was making, you cannot have um, the supreme ethic, which is love, those answers to ethical questions. If the supreme ethic is love, then you cannot have that without the choice not to. You can't, you can't be willed to love someone freely. God can't force us to love him freely. We're either going to love him or we're not. Um, so his whole point in that was, you know, of all the worlds he could have created, he created the one, the only one in which love can exist. And, and for us, we look at that and we go, we don't always think about that because pain and suffering causes us to wonder. But in that wondering... It also causes us to say, okay, why? And in the why, we can sort of come back around and go, okay, so I, 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 it drives us back to these questions. You know, and if you think of the times when people actually wrestle with origin, morality, uh, empirical evidence, experiential reality, I mean, you, I mean, you think of people wrestling with a worldview, it's always at a point where something has happened in this world where I have brought back to that choice of what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Uh, and is there evidence for me to support that belief? Because one of the things that often knocks the blocks out from under us is when something happens that destroys that evidence, you know, of a false belief, you know, something we believed in and all of a sudden we realize, oh, that was, a, that was totally myth, right. you know. And unfortunately, there are people who don't, who haven't uh, gotten to know their, their relationship with Jesus well enough that the, the little pieces or the religious pieces they have, those get knocked out. 
and then they don't go in a little bit deeper with their questions. So I'm going to bring that back around and say, all right, so we, we've talked about worldview. We've talked about mountain theory. We've talked about, you know, how do we, how do we deal with Jesus? So let's come back to the, who goes to heaven? Um, and if I have a concern about that, what, what should I do? You know, if I'm, if I'm really concerned about that for myself or for somebody else, what should we do about that? Because we can, we can spend a lot of time on the heady stuff and we don't want to wear everybody out uh, with that. They're definitely important questions that we dig into, but what would you say to someone or how would you encourage someone if they're wrestling with that for themselves or for somebody else? Right. So again, the, the whole thing boils down to is Jesus truly God or not? If he is God, then we've got to take his claim seriously that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when it comes to the question of, of heaven, if Jesus truly is God, then he is the only doorway that, that, to, to be able to get in. And so then we got to ask ourselves, okay, well, what does that even mean to, to go through that, that door? And that's the other good thing about Christianity. The good news of Christianity is all the other world religions are about here's what you need to do in order to get to your God or be reincarnated into a, mm-hmm. another life or, you know, some religions, it's, you know, everything is God, you know, and there's millions of God. So Christianity says, no, to, to be back in a right relationship with God isn't about what you do. Mm-hmm. It's about what's already been done for you. That Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross for our sins so that we may be forgiven. And it's in simple faith that we can ask him to forgive me of my sins, come into my life, now be the leader of my life, and help me to become the the, the person that, that you would have me to, to be. And so that's the that's that sort of key that opens heaven's door is putting your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for your eternal life. And you know, it's best decision I know I've ever made in life. I know it's the best decision that, that you've ever made in life because it's not just about then heaven. It's about that now the spirit comes to live inside of us. And when we talked about that last week, that now the spirit lives inside of us to help us to become the, the person we've always wanted uh, to be. Not that we're perfect. And then we get to now share that with, with other people. So if you're so, concerned about somebody, that that's your job. Don't keep that good news to yourself. Right. Now uh, share that with, with others. But I, I want to push that a little bit further because you know what I hear you what I hear you saying but not saying. <laughs> you're saying it but you're not saying it is okay, so that it's important that we settle this question in regards to Jesus for ourselves, uh, in regards to what we believe. But it's not about the religious actions. It's not about the going to church. It's not about, you know, whether you're baptized as a kid or an adult. Or It's not about all of those pieces that are typically framed in the actions of religion. Uh, you, you started there with the do, you know, every other religion is the do. And we take Christian, we make it into that when we live through all those functions of going to church. And I sung the songs and I prayed the prayer and blah, blah, blah. It's about the relationship, you know, having a living, vibrant, active relationship with Jesus. And the, the world sometimes looks at that and is like, what do you mean you have a relationship with God? Um, you know, and we have brothers and sisters who are more experiential uh, that sometimes the world looks and goes, what, you, you hear God? 
Like, what does that mean? You know, and, and there is this sense of, you know, liar, lunatic or Lord that's then applied to us. Right. You know, are you are you out there, too? Um, but the reality is what we're called to with Jesus is not some intellectual exercise of belief. We're actually called to a relationship. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason we go through the struggle of where did I come from? What's my ethic? What's my... The whole reason we examine our worldview is so that we understand we have a relationship with Jesus, not some image of Jesus that we think uh, that that we've created out of our experiences, but actually who he said he was Mm -hmm. and is and and who he said we are so that we can come to him with a proper understanding of who we are, a proper understanding of who he is, and then live in that relationship with him. Yes, through prayer. Yes, through worship. Yes, through reading his word. And being in community, those are all ways in which we live out that relationship. Uh, but but there is a spiritual dynamic to this that, that we can't overlook. It is a relationship, and there is a spiritual relationship with him as well. question that actually came in this week, I haven't even shared this, but it, it's actually on this particular topic. Somebody said, well, if it is about a relationship, then what is the purpose of all the things that we do, then that we're that we're called mm. to do. You want to ask a good question? Yeah, you want to touch on that? Well, no, I thought that it was great that you were. Uh, <laughs> <you're really> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the simple thing is, you know, <laughs> I caught the football. I threw it. No, I mean, the, the the simple thing would be that Jesus said, "If you I just love get me, done talking, I need my brain to catch up." Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey mm-hmm. what I've commanded. So again, if we've settled in our hearts that he truly is God, yeah. now we can take the, the Bible. And I've shared this before. Christianity isn't about a book. It's not about the teachings of Jesus. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus truly is God, Jesus truly was resurrected. Now we have to take what he says seriously. And so he is going to say to serve, to, to give, to to love, to, you know, how to treat people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we do it because it's like, well, because he's God and I'm not, and he knows better than, than what I do. Now, the other way I've often said it as well is that we do it out of gratitude that we are saved, not because we're trying to be, be saved. What's the core of any relationship? So if I have a relationship with somebody, the things that I do for them aren't in order to gain the relationship. Okay. Uh, if I already have the relationship, I do it because I, I care about them. I do it because I respect them. I do it because part of the nature of having that relationship is engaging in the things that I know are important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so now while I may not wash the dishes all the time, we did buy a dishwasher for that. Um, there are things that I know that are important to my wife and to her health and to the family's health. And so like if I'm mowing the lawn, if I'm taking care of things around the house, I'm not doing that just because. I think it needs done or because I care about it, it's because it's important for the environment, for the people that I have relationship with. Um, in the same re- way why you and I are doing these recordings and, and answering these questions, it is, an, it is a responsive relationship to say, this is important to you. These are important questions to you. And so our do is in regard to the relationship that's already there and caring about that. And it's the same with Jesus. If, if we know things are important to him, then the do is to say, we get, you know, we get that this is important to you. And because it's important to you, it's important to us. And so we're going to live that out. And we're going to trust that in the midst of that, you you do know more than we do. You do see more than we do. So we're going to trust that as we engage in those things that are important to you, we're going to have a greater understanding of who you are and what you're doing. And going back to what we talked about last week, joining you 
in what you're doing. So I think that I think we've rounded that question out pretty well. That it, it's it starts with a relationship, but the do the do doesn't gain it. The do is the expression of how how I own what I know you care about. Well, we are uh, running out of time here for today. I, I know this is a topic. I actually love talking about this one. So I know I could continue on uh, all day on this. Well, and... Can we touch one more thing? Sure. Just just a couple more yeah. minutes on one more thing. So in this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we started to talk about this, um, we touched on this. Uh, boiling all of this down. So we've covered a big scope and we touched on a lot of different religions. Why is it the big three, as far as Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, why is it the big three tend to be the three main dominant, um, you know, from a philosophical perspective, why do those three sort of move to the top of the list when we put them through the grid? And then how do we, you know, just very quickly, how do we begin to um, see each of them in proper perspective? Right. So it's, it's back to that, that filter as you start to look at a worldview and you start to to look at the logical consistency and the empirical accuracy and the, uh, the experiential relevancy, you start to take atheism and, and, and you know, uh, all the other world religions and various things, you start to put it through that filter. And when you get to the bottom, there's three that are really left. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, we, it would take a whole message to, to, sure, sort of, sure, sure, sure. to sort of break those three down. But basically the, the big, Difference would be Mormons or not more um, Muslims, <laughs> Muslims and uh, and and Jews would say that the New Testament that, that we believe as Christians is just a, a little crock, and that Jesus, while he was a good man and a good teacher, he was not truly God, and that it's it's blasphemy to to say otherwise. And so then again, we got to go through that filter of, okay, can we look at Jesus claims and put it through all these various tests mm -hmm. to come out to say, is he a liar, lunatic, or Lord? And, you know, I made that decision many years ago that the evidence is just so overwhelming in Jesus' favor that you've heard me say this before. I actually got to the place where it would have taken me more faith to not remain yeah. a, a non-believer than it would take the, the faith to to be a, a believer. Then, but what I I think on that on these three specifically, I, I think this generally applies to everybody. But on these three specifically, it it has more to do with what you choose to edit out of of the framework of who Jesus said he is, and and then it is about um, the, the framework of everything else that you believe. So especially with uh, Judaism. Christianity and Islam, uh, the real contention around Jesus is what they choose to edit out. They, there are certain aspects they choose not to listen to, even with the, the overwhelming evidence and connectivity of every other piece of, of, of evidence around him, they edit them out. So for the Jews, you know, editing out that he is Messiah. And for the, for the Muslims, editing out that he is, he's not the Savior, he's not God, but he was a great prophet and a great man. What's interesting is people from Judaism and people from Islam who come to Christ, they actually discover who he is. It, it more often than not is sort of like the Paul being knocked off his horse kind of moment where 
something occurs, whether it's a God moment where like there have been many Muslims who've been having dreams and visions of Jesus and they don't know who he is. And they're going, why, you know, who are you? Uh, and that that's some of the stories that I've heard around that are pretty incredible because uh, they're not they're not connected to any Christians. You know, this idea that I believe what I believe because I was raised that way. Um, I think there's sociological evidence that, that is put out there and then that's considered to be de facto true. When in reality, we know humans are way more capable uh, of, of interpreting and understanding and owning for themselves what they believe. So it breaks that theory, that sociological theory, when you have people who've grown up in this mindset, they've grown up in this environment, they believe it because that's the entire culture. And all of a sudden they have an encounter with Jesus through a vision, through something, not because another Christian told them. And all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, what if I edited out something? And once they plug that back in, everything else goes, oh, and it's not about transitioning from one religion to another religion. It's about encountering Jesus in a way that's like, oh, this, this is the truth. And so now I have to, I have to redo my worldview to fit in all the facts. Yeah. Um, and so that, ha that can happen where God does it directly. I think uh, one of the thing, and, and I want to, you know, touch this because of your giftedness um, and, and re restate what you said earlier. There are many people who won't have that encounter until they see something of Jesus in someone else. And um, uh, Brendan Manning, I think, had said a long time ago, the, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who, you know, acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny them with their lifestyle. There, there is a responsibility that we have to not only know our worldview and to have relationship with Jesus, but then to do those things that reflect that relationship with him, that love, so that others, as they put these things to the grid, we don't choke off the filter <laughs> with our own example. Um, and it, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have our own hypocrisy. That's a given. Um, but ultimately, Jesus needs to be able to shine through. And when he does, the evidence is undeniable. So we do hope you got a lot out of today's conversation. I'm sure this actually brought up even more questions for you. So just as a reminder, Nate and I, in just a couple moments, we're going to be live on a Zoom call. And we want to take any questions you have, including questions about today's message. So you can get those in to 717-461-3288. Again, that's 717-461-3288. We'd love to know what questions that you have. And, you know, as we've been sitting here having this conversation, I've been thinking, oh, this may be a good uh, series that we could do in the, the future, just sort of unpacking this even more. Because even in my mind right now, I'm like, oh, there's like three or four more things I would have loved it. <laughs> well, I would have loved it. there's so many resources, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of the right. things. I mean, that, like I have charts and things that put all the religions beside each other. What do right. they believe? How do they line up? Right. Uh, you know, if somebody legitimately is curious about knowing this a little bit more, you're really struggling with it. Uh, and, and I know some of the people in our congregation have asked, uh, and I have had these conversations with, there's lots of resources out there that break this down. It doesn't make it too complicated or too heady. Uh, stuff that I've even used with my kids. And it's like, they look at it and they go, oh, that makes sense. So right. definitely make sure that uh, you either talk to us, ask us for them, or do some research and find them. Right. So again, uh, join us live on the Zoom call here in just a little bit after we uh, pray. And we'd love to just have more conversation uh, with you about this particular topic, or if you have any other questions that you uh, have, uh, let us know that as well. You want to close us in prayer here? Sure. Father, thank you for today, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to, again, uh, be able to sit here with my brother Gilbert and, and discuss through uh, the questions, the questions that 
at one time or another, we all ask, we all wrestle with in one way or another. And uh, I thank you, God, that uh, for those who've been bold enough to ask their questions, they've been bold enough to put them out there and uh, and and seek an answer. I pray, Father, that uh, for all of us here, if there are places that we are still searching, we are still struggling, we're all still exploring or maybe don't understand our worldview, uh, that God, you you would give us the first of all the the focus and attention, unlike Pilate, uh, that we wouldn't be frustrated by the questions, that we wouldn't walk away from the questions, but we would allow you to lead and guide us. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit, that that you would bring to us the the information, the the examples, the the understanding, the, the you know the religious word is revelation, the the understand the uncovering of who Jesus is, both in your word, uh, as well as in the lives of those around us who are Christ followers. And Father, for all of us, uh, as we continue to grow and mature in our understanding of our relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that Lord, we would continue to grow and more accurately represent him uh, so that we're not a stumbling block, but we are continuing to help people form the worldview and see who Jesus really is and come into relationship with him. God, that's our prayer. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the minds you've given us, uh, the intellects you've given us, the, the provisions you've given us, all the things that we have, the very fact that we get to live this life. Thank you, God, that you've given us this opportunity to live as people uh, and to learn to love. And I pray, Father, that we would accurately and faithfully demonstrate you in and in, in how we live with one another. We thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.